as we get into this season, where is the heart of God? For many of us, we're looking at the birth, the miraculous birth, and we can't take away anything from it. It was miraculous from a 13-year-old girl by the Holy Spirit. You know, everything that science cannot explain happened. And we thank God for that because he is God. But as I meditated and as we prayed together, God was quickening this on my heart to think about the significance of the born child. Why did Jesus have to come? And now that he came, how should we respond to the birth? So he was actually more than a baby, and I hope at the end of my sermon we shall all be convinced that he was more than a baby. And therefore, if we only look at Christmas and Jesus as a baby in a manger, yes, that's the, that's the truth, that's the fact. But I want to think that we again miss something, and that something is what I want to address today. I have already told us that Jesus' birth was miraculous in every way when you think about it. And that's why today, till now, there are so many people that doubt. But if you told someone, I am my father's child, they don't have to even go for DNA. Because when my father stands here, and I stand next to him, there is all the evidence that I am my father's child. So why did God have to do this? And how are we supposed to embrace and receive um, this child that is born, that will be born um, uh, by way of symbolism, that will be born in our midst um, on Tuesday. How are we supposed to respond and how should we behave around this child? When we look at the book of Luke, chapter 2, we see the angel visiting the shepherds. And this is a bit of the background. I'm going to center mostly around the wise men because I want to be wise and I believe the wise men have a lot to tell us about the birth of Jesus Christ. But let's see some of the reactions that immediately happened. Jesus is born. There are angels, uh, rather there are shepherds watching their flock by night. I, I don't know why they stayed up by night. I don't know if um, currently in our current shepherding uh, practice we actually have shepherds staying up late at night. I don't know why these particular shepherds were watching their flocks by night. I know there are a few incidents in the Bible when we see uh, lions attacking um, the sheep. And David testified once that he tore you know, the lion with his bare hands. And so maybe this was the reason. But I've not seen that practice today where people send out sheep and they're also watching by night. But this, somehow, let's, let's say, whatever the circumstances, they chose to watch their sheep by night. And the angels come to them. The angels declare the good news. And when the angels declare the good news, these people go to see the baby that is born. But there are two responses there again. The angels, after declaring the good news, and we can read Luke chapter 2. If you can help me project Luke chapter 2. Maybe we can read it together. I have a few scriptures to read. Some of them are gloss over. 
but I'm trying to build a background to my message. So, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out. Okay, let's go to verse, um, let's go up to verse 8, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Again, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Again, what message did the angel uh, declare? That there is a Savior. Not there is a baby special. I, I want us to hold these ones out. I know it was a baby, but I want my message is hinged on some of these words that uh, pop out. You know? Who is Christ the Lord? We continue. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Again, I'll pause a bit there. We see that the angels are actually praising God for the Savior. Okay? The angels are not necessarily praising God for the baby, but they are praising God for the birth of a Savior. So, again, to my topic of the day, the significance of the born child. How are you perceiving him? Are you perceiving him as a baby or as a savior? So we continue. Glory to God in the highest and on earth goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came and haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that he had made heard, that he had heard and for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. I think we'll stop there. Again, we see two points here. The angels declare the birth of a Savior, and then the angels begin praising God. And I want us to see the context that when this child is born, we see the angels praising God. And when the shepherds go out to see the born child, they again go out praising God. Are we seeing the response to the birth of a child? the first thing that should spring out, out of our hearts is the praise of our God. Okay? So we'll move on again to the, to the wise men where I am anchored today and where I'll share um, most of my thoughts and uh, revelations as I, as I read the scripture. We'll move to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. Matthew 2, 1 to 11. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in those days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east 
and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly uh, called the wise men, determined from them what the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back the word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they had had the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in, in the east went before them till, uh, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Again, we're seeing the reaction. First, when they saw the star, they rejoiced. We continue. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped. Again, their first response is to fall down and worship. First they rejoice, then they fall down and worship. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. I think we'll stop right there. As the king is born, or as we celebrate Christmas, do we have the same posture that has been exemplified by the first people that tell us about the, the birth of Jesus Christ? We've seen the angels praising God. We've seen um, the shepherds. They go see. Afterwards, they begin praising God. And now, the, the wise men, they come in. They see. Okay, they come in and first rejoice. Uh, finally, we have found the star. We've found the place where the shepherd is, rather where the baby is born. And then they enter and first they worship, even before they presented the gifts. Okay? Many times we read this story and we're told about the gifts. But we're not told about the worship before the gifts. So that means there was a worship session first. And then there was a presenting of the gifts. Is that right? Are we together? Am I moving so fast or am I moving too slow? Hmm? Amen. I'm trying to remember some of the Swahili that I've learned from, um, from Tanzania because I remember in Kenya, if you had a joke, you cracked it in Swahili, then you preached in English. <laughs> but it's, uh, somehow it has fled from me. Let's talk about the wise men. Who are they? Again, studies have shown that there were three. Well, there is no I've read several texts and they say several texts and they don't indicate the exact number, but let's say there are three, okay? Three wise men coming from the east and then why, what motivated them? The wise men, uh, some of them are called, some people refer to them as magicians, other texts refer to them as kings. So these were no ordinary people. But what stands out for, for me is that they had studied the heavens, okay? And they were able to identify that something peculiar has happened. 
I'm telling you, me, if you put me in the sky every night to look at it, even if something happens, I will not, <laughs> I will not come back to tell what it means. But they are able to, to get back to the prophecies of Daniel and refer and know, oh, this star is actually different from what we've been seeing every day. So they, they must have devoted themselves to reading these texts. Amen? And these are not part of the Jews, but they must have devoted quite a lot of time trying to understand what are these prophecies? When will they be fulfilled? So that when the star is revealed to them, unlike the shepherds that needed you know, someone to shake them up and say, guys, you know what has happened. These people saw and knew. Okay? And as Christians, are we that ardent to actually study the scriptures such that when there is a rerun in a, an electoral process, we, we are actually able to know what the Lord is saying with that sign. And we position ourselves to be able to appropriately respond to what God is doing. Okay? So I am amazed that these people are not actually from, um, from they're not exactly Jews. That's why we are saying that they are from the east. I don't know how far, maybe they could have been Chinese, because I know that is the farthest east. But let's not go that way. I'm sure <laughs> Elder George loves to talk about the Chinese and Jack Ma. Okay, but that's, that's not our topic for today. These people are not Israelite. But they are able to know when the salvation has come. Okay? And then they follow the star. Again, they are not Israelite, but what is their first response? Their first response is to rejoice. Why did they rejoice? Because finally something clicked. The scripture was being fulfilled. Okay? And then they come and worship. So they acknowledge that this baby that is born in our midst is not actually a baby. This is a king. That's why they first went to the palace, right? They first went to the palace, say, King Herod, we've come to worship the, the, the baby. And King Herod is like, wait a minute, is there another king? You know, as in, because he was already a king, right? And then they say, we've come to worship okay, the king. And they were not referring to him. Can you imagine being in King Herod's shoes? When they come to worship the king, and you are the king, and they've not come to worship you, and they are not afraid to, to tell you that we've not come to worship you, but we've come to worship another king. Um, my imaginations run wild, but I'll keep them to me. So these guys studied the skies, and they were able to understand the times of their visitations. And as Christians, as we get into this season, what is God saying? Okay? If anything, how are we supposed to respond to what God is telling us through his scriptures? And now we go on to look at some of the gifts that um, the, the, the wise men brought. They brought gold, frankincense, and ma. And when you look at them, you know, with um, an ordinary mind, say, yeah, maybe this is what they had in their... In their bags as they were traveling, as they were gazing at the stars. But again, as you go through the scriptures, you see that these particular gifts or these particular um, elements are referred to and are used at different parts, you know, within the scriptures. And so I think they also carry a message. I don't know whether these are all the gifts they brought, but these stood out, okay? And they stand out for a reason, so that's why God wants us to study them. And 
So we, we look at the gold, okay? I mean, gold is precious and we all know what gold stands for. I mean, if you have gold, you don't have to worry about tomorrow, right? Maybe for only for the sake of your soul, but if you have gold, many of the troubles actually do vanish, you know? But they brought gold, a symbol. First of all, it's a symbol of wealth. You know, you cannot just get gold. You have to work to get gold. And in our current day, we know that most of our deposits, even for countries, are stored in gold. So we can measure how much gold a country has, gold reserves. Then we know how rich a country is. Okay? So these guys come, they bring gold. But also gold in the Bible does not only stand for, for, for the wealth. You know, when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, they went and got gold, you know, from their, from their masters. And they made golden earrings, you know. And then when we come into um, the book of Exodus, we see them making a golden calf. Every time we are seeing a bit of worship, we are seeing gold coming into play. The ark of the tabernacle was covered in gold. We are seeing the temple, the temple that King Solomon built. Most of the vessels that worked in the Holy of Holies, where the, priest, the high priest interacted with, gold, with God, were actually made out of gold. Okay? So, gold here, I don't want to think was just a symbol of, of wealth, but also a symbol to acknowledge that actually this person that is born is a king, but also he has deity within him. Okay? Because when we look, if you just made any graven image, okay, and I've checked several scriptures, you wouldn't attract that kind of worship. We see um, Jeroboam, when he wanted to, to divert the children of Israel from, uh, okay, when he was ruling um, the northern kingdom, he made um, golden calves. We see the children of Israel, when, when Moses took long to come down from the, from the mountain, they made uh, golden calves. And these ones, they said, okay, ladies, please bring all the earrings, bring everything. There was a bit of dressing down for the ladies. And they, they put all the gold together, smelted it, and made the golden calf. Okay? But also, in most of the temples today, okay, or at least the headquarters of many um, worship, um, worship sites, most of the most treasured items that symbolize the religion or the faith or the deity are actually made out of gold. So by these people submitting their gold to this son, they're actually acknowledging that this is a king and this is God. Okay? Have I convinced us or I need to, to produce some more scriptures? So they're giving to God. They're bringing their gold to give to God because the gold belongs to God. Amen? And also, it is a symbol of wealth. So for all the earnings that they had with them at the time that were compounded in gold, they're actually handing over to this baby. Okay? Let's come back home. What does God demand of us? What is the gold that we have? What gold do we have? Some have physical gold, right? Others have money. But most of us, we have time. 
What do we bring to this king that is born today? What do we bring to this child that is born in our midst? What gold, I want you to ask your neighbor, what gold are you bringing to the born child? Please ask. Because this is the true meaning of Christmas. Okay, The first people that celebrated the birth, we see that they actually gave. Okay, What gold are you bringing to this born child? Is it your time? Because some of us treasure time the most. When we come for a meeting, and someone else is late five minutes, the meeting can't, can't take off. We're so mad at them. We're not happy that they've come. We're actually mad that they came late. And the meeting doesn't take off. Others, it is the money that we possess. But I know that to each one of us, God has given gold. Okay? And gold is symbolic in this case. What gold do you bring to this born child? As we go through this season, think about it. What gold are you bringing to this born child? And the second gift that, um, that the wise men brought was frankincense. And we know frankincense, uh, these were anointed, um, consecrated incense that was used in the temple. Frankincense in particular was used um, during the time of uh, offering sacrifices, burnt sacrifices, and that aroma would come out. Okay, We see this in Exodus 30, 34. So, During the time of sacrifice, this is when this frankincense was actually burnt in the temple. And we see it again um, coming up again and again. God uses, um, God speaks through several scriptures where we see them using um, incense, you know, like in, in the book of Revelations, chapter 5, where he talks about our prayers being incense, you know, the angels presenting the prayers of the saints, which are like a sweet perfume, okay? So, what, what is the Lord telling us from this, okay? There is that point of sacrificially presenting ourselves that God will purify us. Why were the children of Israel offering sacrifices, okay? First as an act of worship, okay? But also for the purging of sin. Remember we had a law that was in operation Whatever you did, you, you did something, you know, to, for, to find forgiveness. So, in Exodus 30, 34, um, we see that um, frankincense in this case, okay, let's read it, and the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, take and uh, onichar and galbanum and pure frankincense. With these sweet spices, there shall be equal amounts of each. We go Next, next verse. We shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. Okay? So, I, I think we'll stop there, but um, there are several other places where we see um, this particular um, present that the wise men brought to Jesus, frankincense, acting as a way of signifying righteousness and holiness. Again, as we approach the season, what gift or what other gift are we bringing outside our gold? Okay? Ask your neighbor, what gift are you bringing other than gold?
Please wait for an answer. Don't be quick to turn to me. <laughs> I want us to ask so we think about it. You know, sometimes when we just speak at you or when I just speak at you, it will not, it will not get home. But when you ask and realize, oh my goodness, no other gift. So frankincense was used to burn at the altars. Perfumes that were used in the temple as closely compared to our prayer lives. That's in Revelations chapter 5 and verse 8 and Revelations chapter 8 and verse 3. Maybe let's read Revelations chapter 8 and verse 3. Okay. Then another angel having the golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne, and Revelations chapter 5, verse 8. 5, verse 8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden boughs full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Okay? So if you want to increase perfume, which was used, in the presence of God. What do you do? You increase? You increase? No, this is not a trick question. It is actually, <laughs> it is actually there. You increase? You increase prayer. Amen? And that way, as we continue applying ourselves, as we continue praying, God purges us and he, he draws us into himself. Okay? And then the, the third gift is the ma used for anointing uh, the body of Jesus. We see that in, uh, in John chapter 19, verse 38 to 40. John 19, 38 to 40. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, bring, uh, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. Continue. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Right? hundred pounds, that's about 50 kilos, right? hundred pounds is about 50 kilos. If you've ever put up a building, it's like that small bag of cement, 50 kilos. Okay. Then they took the body of Jesus and bowed it in strips of linen with the spices as a custom of the Jews. So again, this gift is again prophetic, declaring that this child that is born is actually going to give his life to redeem us. Amen? To redeem us. So, the... The, the gifts that, um, that we see these people bringing to, to Jesus are actually very significant. We again see um, the Bible talking about the ma when, when Jesus was very thirsty and he wanted a drink and then they gave him ma. And when I read about ma, I was amazed. It is there in our toothpaste. It is there in many of the substances that we use every day. It can heal wounds in the mouth. Maybe... They were giving it to him as medicine. I don't know, but it's a very, um, very important raisin. It's again removed from a tree, from the back of a tree. So it's a very important raisin. So the magi, or the, the three wise men, are actually bringing this particular gift to prophesy 
that, that this child that is born will actually offer his life sacrificially that we might be redeemed. I know today so many people have spoken about the redemption, that the birth is useless without the death. Okay? Because our, our redemption comes from the death. Okay? So Jesus had to be born as man and offer the ultimate uh, sacrifice, you know, such that we no longer have to take these sacrifices to the temple for all the sins. And in case you have not understood the magnitude of, of this sacrifice, I, was, um, I looked up. Okay, maybe let's first read Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Matthew 5, please follow. If you're writing, just follow. I'll read it. So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as the master said, that's uh, Matthew 17, eh? I said Matthew 5. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one title will by no means pass from the law till it is all fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's break it there. Now, in this scripture, again, tying in with the Ma uh, and the ultimate sacrifice for, for sin, uh, Jesus tries to summarize his mission. He came to fulfill the law. I know there is, um, uh, there, I remember about four years ago, pastor teaching us about um, uh, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And that is Jesus' manifesto. Um, but in this particular case, I want to make reference to this clear statement where he says it's come to fulfill the law. And remember, there were about 600, um, 611 laws, the mosaic laws. These God instituted as the children of Israel came out of Egypt, gave them the Ten Commandments, then they continued laws uh, upon laws for living harmoniously, laws for self, okay, so that you do not fall sick, like there are laws on how to to do a number two, there are laws on um, <laughs> there are laws all laws governing life, 611, okay and out of these uh, 356 of them were negative that means Every time you broke those ones, you had to go and repent by sacrificing something. 365. There was one that was very good, um, which I know many parents would uh, hope to have maintained, where if your child casts you, you would just take them out of the city and they are stoned to death. Huh? There would be no children. There is also another one, an interesting one, where if two men were fighting, and let's say I was fighting another man, and Julie came to help me um, um, fight on my behalf, and she behaved a particular way, then her hands would be chopped off, you know. So 
there were many laws. Some of them required death. Um, some of them instantly we were judged, and we, we also see in the Old Testament God judging, especially those that worshipped other gods. I mean, that one was an honor for God, and he came down strong, okay? And Jesus here is saying that we must fulfill all these laws, okay? He, rather, he is coming to fulfill all these laws. So how did Jesus then fulfill the law? He fulfills the law by becoming the price, okay? He comes. He has no sin, so he doesn't have to pay any sacrifice for himself, okay? But, because he's coming to save the world, he has to give, um, give up his life um, to bring salvation to all of us. 611. I don't know how many laws there are in, in Kenya. Maybe the lawyers can help us, but how many laws do you know? Of head. Tim, how many? Very few. I'm sure some of them, the law enforcement reminds you when you're on the road, they tell you you have broken this law. They show you they have like 30 on their sheet. 611. So Jesus fulfills the law by becoming the ultimate sacrifice. Such that by grace we actually get to receive the salvation, and by grace we get to enjoy the salvation. Because with the law, we had to be greater than the Pharisees. These were people who were living by the law day and night to enter the kingdom. What an honor, what a privilege that it took up our place that we might be saved. So this child that is born in our midst today or on Tuesday, what does he mean to you? Why is the birth of Jesus Christ the game changer? And how should we respond? We've seen some of the responses. Can we pick a leaf? Can we pick a leaf? We see the shepherds, as soon as they saw, they went and spread the news. Why do we enjoy this salvation all by ourselves? God is calling us to do much more than that. God has done so much. He has, bec- he has paid the ultimate price. You don't have to do anything extra. He has fulfilled the law right before our eyes. We no longer have to practice the 611. We respond in worship. We respond in praise. But we respond also by telling so many others about the child that is born in our midst. Thank you very much. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you because... This is just a part of the revelation of your son. There's still yet more. Thank you because you actually were born and gave up your everything to bring us to yourself. Father, I pray that you give us obedient hearts to respond like the shepherds, to respond like the angels.
to respond like the wise men. And Lord, give you our all. Give you that that keeps us busy, that that distracts us from the great salvation. We pray that we respond by being um, so full of compassion for those that are lost, that we'll share with them, that whoever will hear will also respond likewise. Thank you for the child that is born in our midst today. I pray, Father, that you continue quickening your word in our hearts, that we'll be able to connect with you during this Christmas season. We'll give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name we prayed and believed. Amen. Amen. God bless you.